Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. I want to... uh talk with you about thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks. And Paul, the apostle, wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he said, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And it is our nature, it's our nature as human beings to be inconsistent in our thanksgiving. How many have noticed that? Uh, In fact, There were ten lepers that Jesus cleansed, right? And only one came back. And most of us uh, fall into that 90%. Something good happens and we're grateful for it, and then we move on. And it's easy to forget and to give thanks and to take our blessings for granted. But scripturally, you'll find from the opening chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation that thanksgiving and the ritual, the intentional ritual of thanksgiving and the intentionality are there in almost every book. Um, In the book of Genesis, before the law was given, Abraham and Jacob and others would offer up sacrifices. They would build memorials and monuments to the Lord and give thanks for what God had done. You heard a few Weeks ago, we talked about Joshua and how he built an altar for memorial. They gave thanks that they crossed the Jordan River. But he said, in the days that come, that when your children ask, what does this mean? It would be an intentional thing for them. When the Israelites were delivered from Pharaoh's mighty hand and they came through the Red Sea, they sang a song of thanks. How many remember that? It was the thanksgiving to the Lord. And when Moses gave the law, there were three separate times when all of God's people were to come together and to give thanks to him. It was the unleavened bread. It was, it was also, that was called the feast of the Passover. Uh, then there was the harvest or Pentecost, and then the feast of ingathering or the tabernacles. And all of them had to do with remembering God's provision and God's grace in their life. In the book of Nehemiah, we read where when the temple, when the wall had been rebuilt, they had um, days of giving thanks to the Lord. And in fact, there were people that the only thing that they did, they were in charge of making sure that there were songs of thanksgiving and praises of thanksgiving. And God's people gathered together and, and some wept as they saw the wall rebuilt and There was the old-timers, they just couldn't believe that they would see the wall rebuilt again. But then the younger ones rejoiced. But all of them were to give thanks. King Hezekiah, when he came and he restored the temple and the worship temple, the worship service of the temple, he ordered that thanksgiving offerings were to be made. And God's Word sums it up like this. It simply says, Psalm 104, "'Enter his gates with thanksgiving.'" and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. 
God's Word tells us and reminds us it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord in any and all situations. In fact, in the early church, in the book of Acts, uh, they practiced this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you to give thanks in everything. When the apostles were taken before the authorities of the day, and they were warned not to teach in the name of Jesus, and then they flogged them and they beat them. And when they, when they were released, God's Word says they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. And I remember that because in my Acts class at Southeastern University on a true and false test, I got that answer wrong because in my world, how could you ever rejoice because you were beaten? Well, in my 20-year-old mind, I saw beaten. How could I give thanks to that? But it was that they had been counted worthy, and they received a beating for it, but they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. What that means is that when we come to the Lord, God puts us in a different corridor. As we were praying this morning and before church, and often there will be things that as God, people pray spontaneously, there's something the Spirit will just impress on them, and they pray, and often they don't even pick up on it. But I did, and the individual thank, thank God that God had put us in a different corridor than this world around us. And that corridor makes all the difference in the world. If you go out and look at the hallway or the corridor here, it leads to the men's bathrooms and our offices over there. Or if you go in this corridor to the nursery and then back to Friendship Hall, you will notice that the carpets look differently. And they're both the same carpet, I can tell you that, but they're laid in a different direction. And God has put us in a different corridor so we can see things differently through the lens of His Word. The background of this in Thessalonians in chapter 4 and 5 is that that Paul the Apostle wrote to them, and they, this was a church that was made up of Gentile believers, Gentile converts, and Jewish believers or Jewish converts. They, there, there was two things. There were tensions in the church, and there were tensions because they were Christians living in a culture that was hostile to their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Tensions in the church over their values. The Jewish people observed the strict observances of the law. The Gentile people had no references for that. They, they had served many, many, many Greek gods, and all they knew is that they, come, they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they're now released from that, and they're grateful to the Lord. But the Jewish people were saying, now hold it just a minute. This has been handed down by our parents and our grandparents, and tradition says this, and it's in God's Word. And remember, they were living out the New Testament. They were not reading the New Testament. The New Testament had not yet been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so there was clashes in the church. And I'm so grateful I've never been in a church with clashes. How about you? That's a joke. And then there were clashes outside of the church. And the, the, the tensions that came from bearing the name of Jesus in that hostile environment that owed allegiance, that environment owed allegiance to Rome and to the emperor, and the Christians claimed 
allegiance to Jesus Christ and even claimed that through him and by him and to him all things were created and all things are for him like the song we sang this morning. And that didn't fit too well with the governing authorities that were there. And then there was the the whole idea that in that culture as they were trying to live a, a life that reflected the glory of God and lived in holiness, it was a culture that was hostile to them because they bore witness that there is a way of living that pleases God and people were not satisfied with that. It was also a time of great unrest and Paul wrote about the coming of the Lord and they were concerned about the coming of the Lord and the Jewish people talked about the day of the Lord in terms of of the judgment of God and the wrath of God being revealed against their enemies, quite frankly, because they had suffered horrendous things. But the new Gentile believers didn't have that frame of reference. And Paul wrote in the first 11 or 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that he said, when the day of the Lord comes, he said, you've not been appointed for wrath, but you've been appointed to obtain salvation. And he said that you are no longer of the night, but you are of the day. And because of that, those are realities that we have as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are in Him, we're no longer of the night, but we're of the day. Can someone say, praise God? Thank you, Lord. Amen. And so, one of the markers he said was that when, when peace and security which were on everyone's mind. And we do live in days that are like the early church when peace and security is on everyone's mind, whether it's been an attack in a church or churches here in the United States or whether it's been an attack in a, in a, in a, in a mosque in Egypt just, just the last couple of days where 305 people were gunned down as, they, as, as the Muslim men gathered to worship. Uh, let alone our governments that are clashing with one another. And the Bible says this, that there is a day coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Can someone say amen? When he comes for his church, he comes for his church. And when men cry, peace and safety, he said, don't be asleep like them, but know that when there's an accord that has been reached that promises peace and safety, that satisfies everyone, he said, then will the Lord appear like a thief in the night. God is coming back. And I'm so grateful that we're not, He's not coming back for us for wrath, but He's coming back for the followers of Jesus Christ for salvation. Praise God. Praise His name. And so there's the realities that that they lived in and that we live in. And the reality is that we belong to the day. We don't belong to the night that's around us but also that Jesus Christ is coming again. And so Paul wrote, he said, Therefore be sober and alert and put on the breastplate of faith, hope, and love. How many have heard faith, hope, and love before in the Scripture? He uses it over and over. That's Paul's deal when he writes, faith, hope, and love. Put it on. And he said, put that on. And he said that, he said, he he concluded, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses, he concluded with this. He said, verses 16 through 18, So he said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Don't quench the Spirit, he said. Value prophecy. 
And I believe that as the days wear on and things war against our soul, that God wants us to know that we should be people who rejoice always in the Lord, who pray without ceasing. We have an attitude of prayer that our lifeline is in heaven. It's not just on Sunday morning, that particular service that we go to, but it's a, it is a 724, 7365 days of the year that we have an attitude of prayer before the Lord. But God also says to the church, don't quench the Spirit. Don't live like people that are of the night, but you are people of the day. Welcome the Spirit. Welcome the rejuvenating power of the Spirit of God and don't despise prophecy because prophecy, when God anoints and God speaks, there is a fresh word from heaven that becomes literally life and manna to our soul. Don't despise it. Praise His name. And so this message today, Paul told us to rejoice and he told us to pray and he told us to give thanks always. But then in the book of Philippians, he tells us how to do that. And how many, when someone tells you on your job what to do, you want to know how's the best way to get that job done? How many you enjoy that? How can I please the individual who, is, who I'm responsible for? And so in Philippians chapter 4, he breaks that down. But before we go there, we're going to go to the book of Luke chapter 6. And these are the words of Jesus. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is that Thanksgiving is a seed and a harvest. They cannot be separated. It is both a seed and a harvest. It can't be separated. We plant and we reap. Jesus said these words, Do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. A farmer plants seeds to have a harvest, but in much of the world, outside of the developed countries of the world, farmers still must save seed, some of the seed, so they can have another harvest. If a farmer consumed all of the blessings that the harvest gave to him, but did not save some seeds to plant again, they would soon find out they would not have a harvest. They would not have any more blessings. My daughter is a research scientist and a professor at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. We were there, and uh, so I spotted a book that maybe a few of you might be interested in, um, but it, it was the drama that has surrounded the seed industry, corn and soybeans and rice, tobacco, things like that, um, in the United United States since the early 1990s. For most of you, that's a real snoozer, isn't it? But if I say Monsanto, how many wake up? Yes. Well, six of you did. All right, yeah. Well, it was, it's absolutely fascinating. If I say Pioneer Hybrid, how many know, how many wake up? One, two, all right. If I say Dow Chemical, how many wake up? Or DuPont, or, uh, 
Yeah. Yes. All right. Now, I want you to love me regardless of what I say because I'm not saying anything that I'm not defending one way or the other. In most of the unindustrialized countries of the world, they still, the farmers still plant with seed that they have preserved for generations because they cannot afford the high dollars that it takes to buy the, the bioengineered seed that you and most everyone in this room eats of, whether you like it or not, okay? When you eat that taco, you eat that burrito, you, whatever you eat, you know, you, you like. And, um, but back in the mid-90s, it really came to the forefront that um, there was a, what they called a, a, a gene was spliced into corn called the BT gene. And this is, and what it was, technology seems to, to be intentionally created to solve a problem. And what, what had happened in the United States, and I won't go into this too long, but it, would you give me a little rabbit trail here to illustrate a point? Up in, the, the farmers had sprayed pesticides on their field because the, there's corn borers, there's all kinds of everything that love corn. But how many like the thoughts of pesticides? You say, well, I don't care. Well, if I say DDT, how many gets that attention? Okay. Every, prob- every problem that we have, mankind tries to create a solution, but it solves other problems. And so there was a gene that they spliced into corn called the BT gene. And what that did when the corn borers came up to munch on the corn that was going to eat your Fritos and your tacos, okay, as soon as they started munching, the corn borers died. Now, how many think that's a good thing? How many think it's a good thing that the farmers didn't have to spray pesticides anymore? Can someone... We can't say amen, but you see where I'm going with this thing. And so then what happened uh, as a result of the technology in farming is why now we have no-till farming. So you can take a field as flat as this rug. You no longer have to plow it because when you plow it, you use a lot of, of energy, which is finite, gasoline and diesel, and you spend a lot of time and days plowing up, and in return... Um, in return, that runs off into the soils and creeks and floods soils and creeks. How many understand that? So through technology now, they no longer plow. They just drill grains in the seed, and then they don't have to pray, spray them for pesticides. And so you and I enjoy this corn, and, but then we hear Monsanto and all the other things, and there's been some abuses. That's all I'm going to say. But the point being in this, uh, you can't save that seed. It's just for consumption. But in most of the world, outside of the industrialized countries, for instance, the farmers in Mexico and the farmers in Central America and Latin America, so many of them are subsistence farmers, and what they do, they have to save the seeds from generation to generation to generation. How many get that? And when we are called to plant seeds of thanksgiving, it's both a seed and a harvest, we we as the people of God, God's instructs us to give thanks to his name because it's good rather than consuming all the blessings that God gives us. How many can understand that? Okay, so we won't talk about pesticides or anything else and all those other things. I can tell you the name of the book if you want it, and, and uh, I'm sure you'll rush out to buy it. 
But here's the deal. Seeds are planted in hope, and they're planted in all situations. That's why God's Word says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And the reality is we can do this because we belong to the day and not to the night. Now, if you and I will reap, if we reap, we will sow. And if we, we sow, we will reap, but we will reap what we sow, and we will reap more than we sow. And so I want to encourage us, and Paul does, to commit to sowing seeds of thanksgiving in our life. It's not just something that we do on Sunday morning. It's not just something that we, that we buy a can of corn in the grocery store. Our walk with God is much more encompassing than that, that we don't consume everything that God has given to us, but that we, it, we save seed for the next harvest. The second thing, and Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 4, Constantly express your joy. Constantly express your joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Few things in the New Testament are so remarkable as the continual stress and the encouragement and the exhortation to the early churches to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Very little else has that same emphasis. The New Testament church was marked by a spirit of holy joy. In fact, in the New Testament, the word grace, one of the verbs were to give. And how many know that grace, the word grace appears over and over and over and over and over and over? Grace, and one of the words that means to forgive, come from the same root word as joy. There is joy in the grace of God. There is joy when we forgive somebody. We forgive them, but we release ourselves from the burden of carrying that away, around. And so, there's no reason. In fact, there's every reason that the 21st century church should be marked by a holy joy. Yes, There are wars outside, and yes, there are sometimes conflicts within, and because we're hundreds of people that meet together, and and my goodness, we can hardly get together as a family at Thanksgiving without someone's feelings being hurt. How many know what I'm talking about? Or saying, did you see what they did? Or I don't like the way they make stuffing, you know, and... uh, if that's so, what happens if you gather together weekly and there's hundreds of people? Can you, you think there might be some chance that we won't see eye to eye all the time? But God calls us to a holy joy in the Lord because we are in a different corridor than what this world is in. This corridor is lit. It's of the day. In fact, Paul called it that we, we are found in Jesus Christ. He said, know that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. The Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted. And He has everything under control. It means that we trust Him. Romans 8.28 says, It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. It means that we trust in the providence of God and God's plan for our life. It's hard to trust in God's providence because 
one of the reasons that your family has a culture and my family has a culture and Grace has a culture and Havre de Grace has a culture and Bel Air has a culture and Edgewood has a culture and Forest Hill has a culture and Aberdeen and Edgewood have a culture and Baldwin has a culture and Dundalk has a culture and inner city Baltimore has a culture. When we say those things, there's images and pictures. It's because they all do things just a little bit differently. And in our culture, culture is simply the way we do things around here so we can make sense of what's happening and we can pretty much predict how things are going to turn out. But when God calls us in Jesus Christ to His culture, He said to trust Him and believe in Him. But sometimes that means there's no end in the box. How many know what I'm talking about? But we trust the Lord because He loves us and He gave Himself for us. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5, if He loved us that much and gave Himself up for, for us, how much more does He love us now that we're children of God? Can someone say praise God? And then let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. Your graciousness. That's tough. That's tough. Tough. Be known to everyone. Sometimes, sometimes, I just get ticked off. Is anyone else? confess, you just get ticked off. Paul got ticked off. Moses got ticked off. The Bible also says, don't let the sun go down to your anger. How many know Jesus got ticked off? Those money-changing grubbers in the temple? Yeah, go Jesus. That's what I say. Go Jesus. But he said, let your graciousness be known. When it's all said and done, let us not live where we're known by a spirit of always being ticked off, but by a spirit of graciousness. If you're ticked off, there's a way to express it. But when it's all said and done, we are gracious towards people. We could love them. Love them. We're called to a different standard. The third thing I want to share with you this morning is displace anxiety with thankful prayers. Displace anxiety with thankful prayers. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Do you know that you and I worry about things that our grandparents never had to worry about. You know that. You know that. I've, I've qualified for Medicare. I thought Medicare meant, naively, free health care. You mean I've paid in all these years tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds, thousands of dollars? You mean, you mean, well, I didn't mind paying the, what's the little part, $135 part, 
But I didn't know the thing was going to amount to $700 a month. It's $700 a month now. What happens once I'm on a fixed income and I live to be 90? Hopefully the Lord comes back quickly is all I can say, you know. I mean, when are they ever going to get this thing fixed? I thought that's why we're paying in Social Security and all the other things. I mean, you, I was planning on, we've planned since I've been 27 for that day. That day, not to get out of ministry, but you know what I'm saying, to change maybe some responsibilities or to be able to do some other things, but they didn't tell me about that. There's things that we worry about that our forefathers never had to worry about. Part of it is because technology allows us all to live to so old. Uh, my grandparents, if they lived to 60, that was a good ripe age. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so, but God's Word says this, to displace anxiety with thankful prayers in everything. I put wow and how. Wow and how. Let your requests be made known to God. He's the only one who can change us, it, and them. By prayer and supplication, that's earnest trust and desire for the Lord. I, uh, I reminded one of the parents here who have prayed for their children and uh, just reminded them that there have been some strong prayers on their behalf and some modeling of some things. And I understand none of us as parents are perfect, but I, I just sort of joked with the individual this morning and said something that's sort of insider. But it, God is so good. God is so good to see our children serve the Lord. So good. A lot of that came about, though, through passionate and persevering prayers and then modeling and bringing their kids to the household of God, making sure they're here in church and being faithful themselves in their tithes and offerings and serving to the Lord. And so anxiety and thanksgiving cannot exist in the same space. But praying with thanksgiving allows His presence into our situation. Um, a couple times in the last 12 years, I've used an illustration of a pitcher of water with ping-pong balls in it. How many have, can recall that? Yeah, it's really amazing. Of all the sermons you preach, people remember these illustrations. And there's another pitcher of water with water in it. And when these ping-pong balls represent our worries, our anxieties, but when we pray to the Lord with thanksgiving and supplication, and we pour in that water, before you know it, it displaces the ping-pong balls. Because our prayers and our anxieties cannot exist in the same space, just like the ping-pong balls and the water cannot exist in the same place. I encourage you to try it. I encourage you in that situation that is so, might be seen, so daunting, so desperate, so unyielding, so unforgiving, 
to commit that thing to the Lord. And God has promised to bring a peace to us. God has promised to stop the ragged edge of those barbs by sticking in our soul and our mind and instead to pour in His wine and His oil the kind that restores our strength. The fourth thing I want to share with you this morning is to travel the attitude high road or the, the gratitude high road. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.8, he said, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It was amazing. Um, we visited our daughter's home, our son-in-law's home, and our two-year-old uh, baby uh, granddaughter, Aria, was there. And, of course, she's the cutest baby in the whole world and uh, looks just like me. No, she doesn't. <laughs> she has blonde hair. <laughs> she's got chubby cheeks but blue eyes and blonde hair. And, the, and anyway, she's two years she was going to be, she's going to be two in December. But my daughter Cammie and her husband Peter have decided not to have any television in the house. I almost can't imagine life without TV. How about you? So instead, we talked Tuesday night. We went for a walk after dinner. Wednesday night, Thursday night. We jiggled that baby. We kissed that baby. I had that baby up on my shoulders. I mean, we, we did everything. But every night, we were in bed at 9 o'clock. Just tired me out, not having my attention riveted to a screen of some sort. And I rested well. I rested better than I've rested in quite a while. Paul said, be careful what you're taking in. You say, oh, pastor, what in the world are you watching? We'd like to know. Well, as long as it's not Hallmark Christmas movies, I can't handle that. <laughs> the acting's horrible. And it's the same. It's like they're reading a teleprompter. Or they're smiling too sweetly. Or it's always someone has moved to the big city and they're coming back. Or I don't know. There's always like, we know where that's going. And, and uh, Chris loves Hallmark Christmas movies. It's like, oh, babe, please. Look, there's no hope for you if you like that. No, I'm not going to say that. So thank God for another TV is all I can say. But anyway, anyway, no. We, we really do try to practice what God's Word says. And one of the things that has helped me is um, I, I've just prayed to the Lord, God, if I'm doing something I shouldn't do, Holy Spirit, remind me and show me doing this as though the whole congregation is looking over my shoulder. How many know that'll stop you dead in your tracks, you know? And, but... It was just amazing to me. We took that whole segment out of our life of watching TV for three nights and filled it with conversation, and, but also how tired we got because of it. And then we slept good uh, the whole night long. But Paul said to travel the attitude high road, 
because our attitude will definitely determine our altitude. Um, when we choose to dwell on things that are negative and dishonor, and dishonor ourselves or others in God, we are choosing the attitude low road. How many remember Wheel Road back in the days before they straightened it out? How many remember that? That, that was, Wheel Road was twisting, winding, narrow. There are more accidents in the wintertime on Wheel Road than I think any other piece road in the county. The trees grew over it. The cell phone reception was poor, and you never know, knew as you, and was winding and twisting and dark. And if you're going around the bend, what car might be swinging over coming at you? And um, when we travel the attitude low road, it's like that. We're, our reception from God is, is not good, and we're worried about what's behind every bend. And you're on the alert, and you, you tend to, to drive defensively. A few years ago, they fixed that thing, and it, it's really terrific now. It reminds me of a road in maybe a national park. Uh, it's just scenic. They've widened that thing out. They've straightened it out. Uh, cell phone reception is good on Wheel Road. Uh, I have hands free, don't worry. All right. And, uh, uh, and when we choose to travel the attitude high road of focusing on those things that bring honor to God and to ourselves and the things that are true and lovely and of good, repu- good report, our ideas and our sensibilities that God is with us and that if things happen, we, instead of going, oh no, that's the end, woe is me, we can say God is in control. And our default then becomes praying to the Lord or even giving thanks in the middle of that or making prayers to Him with thanksgiving because our life is in this different quarter and we are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to I, I want to encourage you in your notes, what's on your gratitude list? Ten reasons to be thankful. What's on your gratitude list? Some of the things on my list are, would, are found on your list. I'm thankful for what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I'm thankful that He saved me. Put me on another road. I've experienced His grace. I'm thankful for my wife and for the, the family that He's allowed us to start. I'm thankful to be called uh, Grandpa or Papa. I'm thankful for that. That's really neat words. I'm thankful to hold that baby girl until she does something in her diapers and hand her back. I'm thankful for FaceTime when they call and we can talk. Thankful for my ancestors and the heritage that they've handed down to me. I'm thankful for Grace of Bel Air and for you all and the hope that you have and the faithfulness and the service and the humor and the graciousness, the generosity, the faith, the commitment to what God wants to do and is doing. When I see the young adults this morning, I'm so grateful that you care for your kids. You care enough that you're not only invested in your own kids, 
you're just not a little league coach when, you're, when your son or daughter is playing that, but you continue to stick with it long after they've gone through the program. I'm thankful for that and what it means and how it's showing up. I'm grateful for those things. And I encourage you to make a list of 10 things that you're thankful for, what's on your gratitude list. And I want to close with this. Reap a bountiful harvest of God's peace. Paul wrote, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And verse 9, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Remember, church, we're of the day and not of the night. We have rights as a child of God. God's peace in your mind is a right. Paul tells us how to enter that peace. Thanksgiving in our heart is a right. Claim it and practice it. Commit to practicing sowing seeds of thanksgiving. Paul said, constantly expressing our joy. May it be a holy joy, displacing our anxiety with thankful prayers, choosing to travel the attitude high road. If I say the name Tiger Woods, how many have heard that name? You know who I'm talking about, Tiger Woods. Yes. At one time, uh, he was the world's greatest golfer. Many thought he was the Messiah. Uh, to hit a little ball around for 18 holes. But his stamina, his precision, his skillfulness was absolutely off the charts. And they spoke his name in hallowed tones with the likes of Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Ben Hogan, and others. But, But many predicted that he would surpass all of them. He was simply the world's greatest player for a number of years. That's no longer the case. But it was said of him back then, it was said of him that uh, concerning his relentless habit practices, quote, Tiger knows that practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Perfect practice makes perfect. When I read that quote, practice makes permanent, the question that I asked myself and that I ask you today As a follower of Jesus Christ, what are you practicing? It becomes part of our soul, whatever we practice. But Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And he said this, that the peace of God will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word there for guard is literally, it will garrison your heart and mind. It was a military term that the churches at Philippi and Thessalonica would understand because the Roman soldiers were, they were there to protect their citizens with all their strength and with the final authority of the Roman government. And the promise of God to you and to me that when we love Him and commit to thanksgiving and trusting the Lord, that He will give us His peace 
and his peace will guard our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus with all the rights that it means to be a child of God and with all the authority of heaven. That's his plan and his providence for you and for me. I want to close with this. Back in, uh, back in the days of uh, charismatics, and many of you are here today because of that, it was a wonderful time of outpouring of God's grace and healing and several things. We, we also had our excesses, but that's people. The Bible, says, the Bible says where there's no oxen, the stall is clean. So if you want a clean church, just whittle it down so no one comes. How many other? If you don't want any conflicts, just make sure people don't come. Uh, but whenever there's cows in the barn and horses in the barn, you have to clean up some stuff, and it doesn't always smell good. And we can say that of every generation. But there was a song, and some of you might remember it, and it was, it's found in Psalm 50, 23, and it went like this, as in the King James Version. He that whoso offereth praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. In a modern version, it's this. It's this. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. That's God. And to him who orders his way aright, I will show the salvation of God. And I want to encourage you with all the authority of God's word and all of heaven's authority that as you and I offer thanksgiving to God, we will honor God. And as we honor the Lord, and as we order our conversation, our conversation is an old English word for our life, our priorities. As we order that rightly, God will show us his salvation right now. Not just salvation that we make the rapture by the skin of our teeth, but the fullness of the salvation of God. Praise his name. He's placed us in a different category. He's placed us in the night. Let's not drive down wheel road any longer. Let's drive down the new wheel road. Let's drive down the corridor that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Praise his name. So I want to encourage you, save some seeds. There's more, gener- there's more harvest that we have coming. Let's not just eat all the blessings. Let's give some and return them back in thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Isn't God good? Praise His name. The Lord is good forever. Bless His name forever. Praise His name. I want to pray with you this morning. I wonder, as we go to prayer, first of all, if you're here and you'd say, Pastor Paul, I needed to hear God's word this morning about thanksgiving and praise and rejoicing in the Lord. And I'm just raising my hand to say, Lord, I need your help in this area. You're just saying, I'm still growing in this. If you'd lift your hand along with mine, there's perhaps anxieties and worries, yes, that are on you. We're going to pray for those. Secondly, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not in the right corridor, Jesus Christ, you cannot declare him as Lord and Savior, but you want to. You want to. You want to know him and experience him. You want to know Him in ways that it means that you can only know Him from being part of the family of God. 
And today, if you want to extend His offer of salvation to your life, that means that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, He paid the penalty. And His, His sacrifice will pay the debt of your sin and you can be born into the family of God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now, wherever you are, just lift it. Just look at me. Lift, lift your hand quickly. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, I see that hand this morning. Others in this section over here. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Say, that's me. I want to come into the family of God. Praise His name. Church, would you bow your heads with me? First, let's stand together. We're going to stand. We're going to pray.